I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. And I'm Sadie Carpenter. Hey, Sadie, how you doing tonight? I'm actually doing great. I had a good day. You did? Well, I had a great day, too. Um, I signed a new lease today. Um, yes, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know... Um, at the beginning of December, I am moving to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania from Portland, Oregon. Uh, don't worry, that will not affect our podcast in any way. You'll still get to hear us every week. Um, but I, I am moving across the country and I'm very excited to be able to do that. And I just signed a lease on a new place today. Um, I'm so excited for you. I hope that goes great for you. And for anybody who feels a little twinge of worry about the podcast, don't be. We've recorded in the first in the same room exactly one time in the history of this podcast. So <laughs> it was not going to change anything as far as the podcast goes. Yeah. And all the people who are worried that I won't get to see Sadie and Chuck at all ever. I already don't see Sadie and Chuck at all ever because <laughs> I am one of those moms who is extremely strict about nap time and that kind of makes it impossible to do things but i feel like i have to be because nap time is when i work on the podcast so yeah so don't worry about that everything is going to stay the same from your end i'm just embarking on a new adventure which reminds me i just need to thank my friend Alyssa for touring the apartment for me and making sure that it was very cool and very good so thank you so much Alyssa. you're a very cool person but yeah, we're we've got a special episode today. Um Sadie, do you want to introduce the topic or do you want me to introduce the topic? I can go either way. Okay. Uh why don't you do it? Yeah, why don't you do it? So gosh, how long ago has it been since we did the original episode on this topic? 
Well, I remember the first one came out in March of 21. Right. So the the first one was one of the episodes that we pre-recorded to play in the weeks after Chuck was born. Okay. That's right. And it came out when I was on my trip across the country. Right. Okay. So we did this we did this episode that would make it 19 months ago roughly cuz that's how old Chuck is now. And <laughs> That's how long, that's how you measure time these days. Yes, it is. (laughs) So uh, we did an episode about a specific sermon illustration that was used by Jack Hiles. And in what we, what we did in that episode was we tried to track down whether or not he was telling the truth. He told a a story in a sermon and the way he told it, it was clearly meant to be taken as literal. But there were some red flags. We went into them. We'll tell you more about what those were once we get into the episode. And we kind of hit a dead end in our investigation. Our investigation skills were not nearly to the point that they are now. And we hit a roadblock and left on some questions. And since then, we've received some new information. And today is an exploration of that new information that we have gotten. I'm not saying that it's going to come out with any more questions answered. But at least it's going to be entertaining. (laughs) It's going to be entertaining. I'm sure of that. Yeah. So this is, of course, what we're referring to is the mystery of of Paul Sand. If you go back, what what do you know? What episode number it was? Um, Mm. I I think it was uh, a Sadie Locke Holmes and Nancy Jew in the mystery of Paul Sand is what uh, the episode was called. I don't remember what number. Highlights on our Instagram. Let me see if I can find it. It's it's one of our favorites. It is episode uh, 26 from March 15th, 2021. So that's that's the episode that we're talking about. Um uh do, do we want to do before we get into that and then get into things? Um Yeah, let's or, let's get into yeah. before we get into that before we get into that. Okay, well before we get into that. <laughs> <laughs> the Leaving Eden podcast is a podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real impressive threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And this is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there's a couple of things that you can do. Numero uno. You can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Numero dos, you can join our Patreon where you will get access to extended, uncensored, and ad-free versions of our podcast. You can do that. You can also join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. There's almost two and a half thousand people in that group now, which is nuts. But that's where we hang out. We, we talk. We, that, that's where most of the discussion goes on about the show that we talk about. Um, you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Um, is there anything else I need to talk about before I thank the patrons? Uh, I think that's it. I do want to note if you hear Chuck babbling, she is doing that toddler thing where she kind of sinks herself to sleep. So if you hear that, um, please don't think I'm a neglectful parent. <laughs> it's an extremely cute thing to do. She's very talkative and she gets that from her mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Gabby before we go before we went on um hit the record button. Chuck is is very dramatic 
and she's a toddler, so of course she's very dramatic. Um, if you tell her no or something happens that she doesn't like, she will run across the room to find the furthest point in the room away from you and then throw herself <laughs> bodily to the floor so that she may scream. Um, it is so cute. It is so hard not to laugh. And every time my husband likes to razz me about, oh, she's so dramatic. I wonder where she got that from. <laughs> so. Pretty soon she's going to be uh, taking after him and doing like impressions of Simpsons characters or uh, Trailer Park Boys characters. <laughs> she's already doing impressions of our cat. <sighs> Harry will be like across the house and he will meow and she'll meow back at him in the same tone. That's amazing. I need it's to see that. That's, that's incredible. Anyway, I, need, I just want to thank our patrons without whom I would not be able to, uh, to, to move forward into the next chapter of my life. I would not be able to have this job that Sadie and I do remotely. Um, and without whom I would not be able to buy the copious amounts of coffee and energy drinks needed to work through every nap my baby takes. So, uh, patrons, 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 you guys are the people that really make this show happen. Um, we have two I gave it all to your patrons, uh, Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. I don't know what to say to you guys other than your continued support continues to amaze me. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much to Kathleen and to Melissa. And our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex Todd, Allison MacArthur, Anisha Patel, Bart's Real BFF, a.k.a. Big Sexy, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R., Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Meg, who is just here to send Sadie true crime podcast suggestions. Um, thank you so much, Meg. Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Jonathan Miller, Kat Hedberg, Kay Turwee, Catherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, no relation to Reginald. A C E A C E A C. Oh no, we're not chanting that. We we don't support A C E. Uh, <laughs> Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Elizabeth Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day. Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, the Lady Rabbi, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, Son of Walnut, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much to all of our Faith Promise Missions tier, and I gave it all to your patrons and to all of the wonderful patrons on Patreon who make this show possible. And also thank you to Rachel Zilka. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Who made the artwork that we are using to re-release the, the recut, remastered versions of all of our old episodes. So if you saw last Thursday, a recut version of episode one just went out this week. Uh, a recut version of episode two came out and that's the one where we talk about the curse of ham and racism. So which that was a fun turns one. Turns out to be 
a major theme of our podcast. <laughs> like, I, I anticipated when we started this that Christian fundamentalist racism would come up now and again, and then it kind of comes up in almost every episode. <laughs> so I've learned some things since we did that episode. <laughs> Well, you know, we recorded that episode right during all of the the George Floyd uh, Black Lives Matter protests going on in 2020, and it felt like it was a really uh, a, a really uh, a, a current issue, and it still is a current issue. And I'm glad we covered it early. Yeah, we felt like we needed to pri- it was it was a topic we would have always done, but we felt like we needed to prioritize it. And now I'm really glad we did because it opened my eyes to just how prevalent this is and how many of the fundamentalist doctrines that we talk about have a piece of the curse of ham or other racist ideologies mixed in. Yeah. But basically, you know, what I'm doing with these old episodes, I'm going back to the original master recordings, which I have saved and recutting the episodes as if I were cutting an episode that we're doing now. And so it's basically I'm doing like a Taylor Swift Taylor's version of yes. <laughs> the, or you could look at it the other way and say I'm doing a George Lucas uh, Star Wars Special Editions version. Uh, if you like it, call me George Lucas. I mean, if you like it, call me Taylor Swift. If you don't like it, call me George Lucas. Or maybe you like the Special Editions of Star Wars and you can call me George Lucas. Uh, but either way, that's what I'm doing. And the new versions, I think, are way better than the original ones. So, Sadie, I think we've just we've just got to get into it. Do you want to hit us with the TW and then we can hit it? Absolutely. I just wanted to say the artwork for that new for for the recut episodes. Uh, you can find the artist's website at rachelzilka.com, R-A-C-H-E-L-Z-Y-L-K-A.com. And we'll tag that in the um, Instagram post that we do of it. Seriously, it's a very, very cool artwork. And I'm just like, I'm just... Just Fan awesome. art is, is one of my favorite things in the world to begin with, and this one was yeah. great. Okay, let's do our trigger warning. So, uh, in general, we do talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, at least a few of these topics are going to come up in conversation. What we do is we try to avoid graphic detail unless it's extremely relevant to the story that we're telling. And if we're going to include graphic detail, we will give you a heads up before we start. This episode in particular has discussion of domestic violence, murder, and infidelity. But while those are major themes in the episode, there won't be a lot of detail on any of them. We'll also be discussing at length the concept of a sermon illustration and the concept that many Baptist preachers use, dramatic, tragic stories, whether true, false, or just highly exaggerated, to predict dire consequences for people who defy their control. We will also be mentioning briefly a hypothetical capital punishment, a death penalty, but it doesn't end up happening. So we're not talking about the, uh, somebody's actual death in that sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's get into it. We're talking about Jack Hiles. He, he gave a sermon called Duty. Um, Once again, we get to talk about duty. It's a great favorite <laughs> for all of you Gavi fans out there. Okay. What are, what are my fans called? Uh, the, the, Gav, the, the Gavin maniacs, the Gav folksy, the G hive. G hive. I like that. I like that a lot. I would G-hive, call them. Where are we at? I would call them the 12-year-old boys section of our fan base, but I mean that with all love and respect. 
Like those those of you who love all of Gabby's off color jokes, you're valid. You belong here. Uh, the reason that I am not laughing as hard as you are is that someone has to keep this podcast on track. However, if you are a 12 year old boy and you're listening to the show, I'm happy for you because you're probably learning a lot about the world and religion and uh, feminism and gender theory from Sadie. So uh, good on you for learning that you'll probably like avoid a lot of uh, uh, gosh, I hope so toxic ideas in your in your teenage years maybe hopefully uh so you're probably getting something out of this despite all of the dumb that i say <laughs> your dumb is much needed um comic relief at times <laughs> but what is duty like what are we talking about when we're talking about duty <laughs> it was thank you gabby <laughs> so duty <laughs> there it is <laughs> was one of Jack Heil's greatest hits sermons. So to catch anybody up who needs a refresher, fundamentalist preachers often have a selection of sermons that they preach over and over and over again. You know what the term for those sermons is? Sugar stick. That's true. Where did you where did you pick that one up? I was just re-editing one of the old Jack Scoff episodes and you were talking about the polished shaft. I don't want to hear the term sugar stick and the term polished shaft together. <laughs> you literally said that in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> I was editing it today, and you literally said, I don't want to say sugar stick and polished shaft right next to each other. So in like four or six or whatever number of weeks when that comes out, listen for that joke because <laughs> that joke is going to be in there. But it's not a joke because it's real. These fundamentalist preachers, their Sunday morning sermon would be different and new every Sunday morning. And usually their Sunday night sermon and their Wednesday night sermon would be also. But when they preach at a lot of conferences or meetings or fly out to other churches to do sermons, they kind of have a stable of regular sermons that they would preach. Like, I'm not, they're not going to make a new sermon for every single time. Jack Hiles in particular was so in demand that according to him, he would often preach Sunday night at First Baptist Church of Hammond, fly out to preach at a different church on Monday night and Tuesday night, fly back into Hammond for Wednesday to preach for Wednesday night church, fly out to a different church for Thursday and Friday, and then fly back on Saturday to preach at his home church again on Sunday. This is what he claimed he did. I don't have a reason to think he was lying. A lot of those dates are verifiable through like newspaper sources, or you can find flyers for the conferences he was preaching at. It's definitely possible possible that some of these dates were secret rendezvous with his secretary, but I don't think that all or even most of them were for sure. So when Jack Hiles would travel that much, you have to think of the numbers he would conservative conservatively, he would preach twice on Sunday, once on Monday, once on Tuesday, once on Wednesday, once on Thursday, once on Friday. So conservatively, and then take Saturday off, so conservatively seven sermons a week. And he often claimed a number closer to like 20 sermons a week, which again, I don't have a specific reason to think that this was a lie because these churches, once they got him there for a conference, he was so hard to book that once they got him there, they would have a conference and have him preach during the day on Monday and then again Monday night and then during the day on Tuesday and again Tuesday night. So he, it, it's reasonable to think that there were many days where he was preaching or speaking twice a day. 
So he couldn't necessarily have time to prepare a new and different message for each one of those speaking engagements. So when he was away from First Baptist Church of Hammond, he would often re-preach a sermon that maybe one that did particularly well at home or a sermon from his stable of what I call greatest hits sermons. So duty that we're talking about today, it's one of those sermons that he preached multiple times throughout his career. Because he preached it multiple times, we have audio clips of him preaching it multiple times because all of his sermons were recorded and then sold to people across the country, which is how my dad found his preaching originally in the early 80s. Duty was also printed in a book. The book said that it was a transcription of the sermon being given at Bill Rice Ranch, which we'll have to cover eventually. Our research friend Hannah tracked down the exact date that it was preached because she found some newspaper articles that were about Heil's trip to visit Bill Rice Ranch. So it was preached at Bill Rice Ranch on June 9th, 1978, and that's the earliest date that we have on record of him preaching duty. So thanks to Hannah for that bit of research. So let's get into the content of the sermon. Yeah, this is the wild part. So... In this sermon, Jack Hiles does what we call in the fundy world a sermon illustration. This is a common thing in religious talks, and I've even seen this done like an illustration can be given in a secular speech uh, or in a non-Christian religious talk. When I went to High Holidays with you last year, one of the rabbis gave an illustration for her talk that she was giving. I mean, it's just like an extended metaphor. Yes. Um, some, so sometimes it'll be a metaphor or an allegory. Sometimes it is clearly meant to be fictional. So it might start with, there once was a farmer who had many sheep. And you wouldn't think, like, if I started a story that way, you would understand that it is metaphorical, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's clear. Jesus did this when he spoke in parables, but people do this in religious and non-religious sense all the time. It's just a, a common uh, a rhetorical tool. Right. Or like use. a man walked into a bar. Like you don't, <laughs> you do not think this is a literal story. It's a joke or a metaphor. So sometimes the story is clearly intended to be true. So if the speaker said something like this, now I want to tell you a true story. You understand that the speaker intends for you to believe that this story really happened more or less exactly as they are telling it. If they're part of the story as well, then it's much more likely that you would think that they're part of the story, that this is a true story. Right. I almost feel like if a speaker tells a story that is fictional, but the way that they told the fictional story, it involved themselves, then they're kind of obligated to tell you at the end. Now, that didn't really happen. That's an allegory because it's you cannot just just tell people that a story happened and you were involved when you weren't. It can also be obvious from context, whether you're intended to take a story as something that really happened. Like the story might start out, a few weeks ago, my kid fell off their bike and hurt their knee. That's clearly supposed to be literal. They may pull an allegorical meaning out of their kid's knee bump, but you're supposed to believe that that really happened. By the way, in the IFB, (laughs) the pastor's kids are always the sermon illustrations, and I feel like this spreads to other denominations and non-Christian religions as well, because when I was talking about the rabbi giving an illustration during her talk, it was about her kid. Yeah, of course. It always is. It was about her wife and her kid. (laughs) 
that's that transcends religion. But the, the point is that this this Jack Hiles told this story and he intended the audience to believe that this story was true. Right. And it's clear from several parts. He is personally involved in the story. He does not give any disclaimer about it not being a true story. He gives lots of details that are clearly meant to be taken literally. The only difference that he says that this story has to real life is the name of the people involved. And he says, I'm changing their name for anonymity's sake, not for this is a name that I made up because this is a made up story. So he's clearly saying this is a true story. This is a real thing that actually happened. Right. So in the 1978 printing, he does not say that he changed the name. He just doesn't mention whether or not he's changed the name for anonymity. In a 1990s record audio recording that we have, he says a different name, and he says, now I've changed this name for anonymity. So let me tell you the story. I'll tell you, I'll tell it to you as close as I can to the way that Hiles told it. And keep in mind, he's presenting this as a real thing that happened. So Hiles says that a man named Paul Sand, aka the name that haunts me in my nightmares, <laughs> visited his church at Miller Road Baptist Church in Garland, Texas with his beautiful young wife. Hiles does not give a year that this happened, but Hiles was pastor of Miller Road Baptist Church for seven years from 1952 to 1959. So he is setting a date for this meeting, this man, between 1952 and 1959. Hiles says that Paul Sand and his wife, who is not named in the story, were a lovely couple. They were both very attractive Paul was very tall and his wife was very short. Paul worked for the local phone company and he and his wife quickly got saved, joined the church, became involved in volunteering for the ministry, and they both eventually became Sunday school teachers. So in future retellings of the story, Hiles said the name, the man's name was Bob Tate. But when he said Bob Tate, he specifically said that's not his real name. When he gave his name as Paul Sand, he did not make any disclaimer on whether it was his real name or not. As time went on, according to Hiles, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Sand started to pull back from their church activity and responsibilities. Sometimes they missed Wednesday night church, and then sometimes they missed Sunday night church, and eventually Paul Sand ended up in Jack Hiles' office to resign his position as a Sunday school teacher. Hiles said to him, you're backslidden, you're making a big mistake, you should go back to the doing all the things that you were formerly doing at the church, and your life will get back in order. Paul Sand said, no, I'm done with this, I'm not going to be a Sunday school teacher anymore, I don't want to be at church three times a week, I don't want to live this lifestyle anymore. Hiles predicted that his life would have a bad outcome. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> this might be a place for the Law and Order theme song, actually, given what's about to happen. It's a quality <laughs> choice, the original theme song. I also, I have a video of Chuck dancing to that, and I have to send that to you. That's the way. So Hiles does, at this point in the story, he does a time jump 
and he says it's over 20 years later, so over 20 years since this thing happened with the Sand family. Heil said that he got a letter from the Texas State Penitentiary, and when he opened it, it was from this man, Paul Sand. In a later retelling, so in the 90s audio recording that we have, Hiles adds an additional detail. He says that it was the Huntsville State Penitentiary, Penitentiary specifically, that Paul Sand was in. So when Hiles preaches this sermon in 1978 at the Bill Rice Ranch, he makes the receipt of this letter out to be something that happened recently. He doesn't say exactly when he got the letter, but the way he talks about it, he implies that it was a recent Uh, He recently got this letter. So according to Hiles, the letter says something like this. You may or may not remember me, but my wife and I were members of Miller Road Baptist Church in Texas when you were the pastor. We were Sunday school teachers, but I quit my responsibilities. We quit coming to church, and you told me that this would have a bad outcome. Well, a few weeks ago, I caught my wife having sex with another man in the parking lot of a shopping center. I went home, got my gun, went back to the parking lot, and I killed them both. Now, I'm serving a life sentence for murder, and I should have listened to you all of those years ago. Yeah. (laughs) So, this was a pretty powerful story for Hiles, because Hiles continued to make the point in the rest of his sermon that this murder happened because Paul Sand gave up on his responsibilities at church. And if you have responsibilities at church, you should never slow down. You should never take a break. You should never give up on them. Because once you have a responsibility, if you don't carry it out, your life will have a bad outcome. And you might, your wife might cheat on you and end up, you might end up committing a double murder. Yeah. So this was an extremely dubious claim that we decided to get to the bottom of. Yeah, and like it's so detailed. There are so many details to look into. A lot of Hiles' sermon illustrations were pretty vague, and there wasn't, there wouldn't have been anything that we could fact check. But this one, he gave us so much to work with. So a, a couple of extra details on this, um, and I think this, this maybe we didn't address this when we first did it, but when we first started to research this, we first started to research this really early in doing the podcast, and we didn't like back in like June or July of 2020. That's when we first actually started to research this. Um, Yeah, I know it was July of 2020 because I would be sitting doing research and hearing the protest down at the courthouse. So it was, um, that's when we were doing that research. Now I was actually listening back to, because I've been doing the re-edits of all of the old podcast episodes. In the first couple episodes where we talk about Jack Hiles, you were still, at least until we read those first few chapters of uh, of Linda Hiles Murphy's book, mm-hmm. you were still under the impression that Jack Hiles was an good man who was misguided and not a monster like a complete monster. Um, right. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember that, but like, oh, I, I, no, I, I remember vividly because when we wrote the Jack Hiles episodes, so there's two Jack Hiles episodes and then one David Hiles and then two Jack Scott episodes for the first family of fundamentalism, five part series. When we wrote the first two Hiles episodes, I did not yet know that I was pregnant. I was <laughs> pregnant, but I didn't know it yet. And 
we got in recording to do the first Hiles episode. And I don't know if you remember this, but we sat down to record the first one and I just cried and I could not handle being confronted with the question of was he a good man who was horribly misguided or was he some kind of monster? And that was so upsetting to me. We had to stop the recording session and go back the next day and finish it. I didn't remember that happening until I was going back through and listening to the master recordings of us doing it because I'm doing the recut. And I was like, oh, yeah. And that jumped back out at me. So when we first started researching this claim. And then like a week later, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, oh, that's why. Okay, that's why I was crying over that. Okay, this makes sense now. Yeah, but when when we first started researching this claim, Sadie was we were kind of like looking for evidence that Jack Hiles was a liar. Because we, because Sadie wasn't like, was kind of on the fence about that. Now, of course, like two and a half years later or, or two years later, you know, it's, it's a different story and we can just say whatever we want about Jack Hiles and, and mm-hmm. slander his name and it's, there's nothing about it. Um, but we did quite a lot of things to try to research this claim. Um, yeah, I think I, knew in my heart that I believed that he was lying about this story because there are so many red flags and things that don't add up and timelines that don't make sense. But I felt this enormous sense of obligation to Jack Hiles, and I felt like I needed to exhaust every possible avenue that I possibly could to see if I could prove him right. And we went to hilarious lengths to try <laughs> yes. to accomplish this. So, Sadie, what what did you do? You you were like in all the databases, weren't you? Yeah. So I did. You did a lot of um, like media searching and looking through that kind of thing. I looked through a lot of spreadsheets. Um, so I checked the Texas State Penitentiary website. So that, that was one of the first things I did, and found out that they have. And had at the time in like late 2020 or early 2021, no current inmates named Paul Sand or Bob Tate. We searched Murderpedia. We searched um, just like find a grave. Like we we looked all over the place. So I suspected from the beginning that if Hiles was telling the truth and this was a real story, Paul Sand was probably still a fake name, even though he didn't give that disclaimer when he preached the sermon in summer of 1978. So what I did was I went through every single double murder in Texas on Murderpedia. (laughs) Every (laughs) single... So, and at the time, we didn't have our time frame super narrowed down. So I read every single double murder in Texas from like the 60s to the 90s, because we didn't know when that sermon at Bill Rice Ranch was preached. So every single double murder with a gun in the state of Texas and searched and searched and searched for articles that described anything similar. I read about so many murders, but I did not find anything that fit it that that happened in a parking lot that was a crime of passion, that was a man shooting his wife and her lover. I didn't find anything that fit the rest of the details of the story. So what I did was I looked at other extraneous details of the story to see if I could find something there. Um, one of the things that that one one of the times when he told the story, he said that the the wife's lover was a coach on a football team on on the high school football team. So I searched the high school football team records of uh of, of like the, the the local high school that was across the street from the church to see if I could find anything. 
Um, yeah, but we looked up several. What we did was we looked up several different high schools in the area and found the names of each coach of the football team as best as we could put that together and then found coaches whose tenures as coach ended within the time frame that we were looking at and then tried, tried to find out how those guys specifically died and did not find any murders. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, the... Um... And a listener like came through and sent us high like sent us pictures from high school yearbooks, which was right. wild. Right, that that was nuts. Um, we really, really, because Hiles yeah. was so specific. Like this guy, I, I think this was in the 1993 audio recording. He said that the guy who was having an affair with Paul Sands' wife was the coach of the local high school football team, and that the murder happened in the the parking lot of the shopping center where the murder happened was close to the high school, like across the street from the high school. So yeah. with that level of specificity, specific specificity, is that it? <laughs> yeah. You've messed up that word before on a podcast recording. And I know that because I'm re-editing. All <laughs> there, are like, there are certain words that get me every time. Ah, oh, man. With that level of specific detail. There we go. <laughs> with, but with that level of specific detail, we should have been able to find a high school football coach. So maybe, okay, maybe Hiles lied to protect someone's anonymity and it was actually the high school football coach from the next town over. But there should have been information about that and we were not able to find a single thing. And then we also, we checked find a grave because we figured... Well, if this guy was sentenced to a life sentence and he is no longer in jail, then he would it would stand to reason that he would be dead. Uh, weren't able to find anything there. Yeah. We so, narrowed down the date range when we got that 1978 date for the sermon being preached for the first time. And then my dad remembered being in the audience when he preached this specific time in the early 90s. So we were able to narrow down like when this potentially could have happened because the murder would have to happen before 1978 for it to make it into that sermon in 1978. But that didn't help. No, we uh, we literally didn't find anything. And the case ran cold for uh, almost for, for a year and a half, 19 months. Yep. Until last month, a listener, Casey Atkins, hit me up on Twitter and said that they found paul sand not paul sand mind you but but somebody who kind of fits the description right so they and and what casey said is that this was pretty much the only crime of passion murder i killed my wife for sleeping with someone else that happened in texas in the date range that we're looking at so do you want me to tell the story yeah, please. That, that Absolutely. So uh, Casey sent us a bunch of links to newspapers.com. So we we went and we we subscribed to newspapers.com and, and searched a bunch of articles. We found a bunch of articles. And so the story we were able to piece together from these articles is that a man named Edward Wayne Ferris, he was a machinist in uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He married his wife, Agnes, in 1954. Uh, he was 18. She was 14. You in 1960. Big yikes, big yikes yeah, on that big one, yikes. bud. Um, yeah, in 1960, they had a daughter together, and in March of 1964, she confessed that she was no longer in love with him. 
he called her sister to try to get information out of his out of her sister uh to see if there was another man involved sister didn't give up any information so he went back to talk to his wife agnes agnes confessed to edward that she had been sleeping with his cousin jc hopper which is a funny name the next day ferris went to the doctor and told the doctor that he was feeling uneasy and the doctor gave him a like a tranquilizer or a sedative or something probably like quaaludes give him some quaaludes i found a quote from ferris um in the newspaper about this ferris said the doctor gave me two prescriptions for tranquilizers some were pills and the others were red capsules okay so he he, he took he took some quaaludes or something came home when his wife was sleeping on the couch and their daughter was playing outside ferris uh tw for violence shot his wife twice in the head he didn't wake her up first before he shot her which i guess is probably better mm. i don't know like uh, but then he he drove his daughter to his mother's house called the district attorney told the district attorney that he had shot his wife and killed her, waived his right to an attorney, and confessed to the whole crime with all of the details. He later said that he did not want a prison sentence uh, and that he would rather be sentenced to die by the electric chair uh, and stated that if he were ever released from prison, he would not be able to be in his daughter's life because it wouldn't be right after everything that he had taken from her. That's the case that we are looking at, the case of Edward Wayne Ferris. Yeah. Um, can you can you cut out where you say he was let, let out of prison? Because I want that to be like a, like a big reveal in a minute. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So he okay. stated... He, Gosh. Um, so many thoughts on this. <laughs> this is a crazy story. This is a truly insane story. So... Number one, uh, did we point out that at the time that Edward, Wayne, Ferris, and Agnes got married, uh, he was 18, she was 14? I think I mentioned that, but uh, yeah. Very gross. I, so you texted me that, and then I had to go directly to the newspapers.com site to check it because I thought that can't be right. And then I thought, no, the, this is a misprint. So I went and checked her find a grave and nope. So she was 14 when she got married, and then she was 24 when she was murdered damn that's um, younger than us yeah it's like <laughs> that is ridiculously younger <laughs> yeah. than us um man oh, so this yeah. is this caught my attention because there is a long-standing rumor that beverly hiles was very very underage when she married jack hiles uh, i have done a good bit of research into this i don't think it's true i think she was 16 when they got married which at the time would have been fairly normal um, but there is a long-standing rumor that she was 13 or 14. I think someone has dug up her birth certificate for me or some census records or something that that pretty well disproved that. Anyway, if you were wondering about that, letting her kid, she was letting her four-year-old daughter play outside while she slept, which is extremely 60s. Very much. Uh, and then also the quaaludes. That he, I went to the doctor because I wasn't feeling well because my wife was cheating on me and he gave me two different tranquilizers. <laughs> <laughs> Also, man, very 60s. There is a quote in a newspaper article about Ferris couldn't eat or sleep. All he could do was smoke. Um, <laughs> very 60s. <laughs> this story happened in the 60s, y'all. Also, also, um, if you 
watch the guy who does the trailer park drama stories on TikTok, I want him to do this story. Uh, there's a there's a guy on TikTok who tells like stories about the royal family, but as if they all lived in a trailer park together. It's incredibly entertaining. I did. Um, I found in the newspaper a birth announcement that said that the Ferrises had a daughter in 1955, the year after they got married. Really? Yes. So how long after? So that kid would have been. Oh, how long after they got married? Exactly yeah. nine months. Exactly. Actually, okay. a week short of nine months. But mm. but this is a fifteen, a fourteen-year-old child who was pregnant and then would have been fifteen by the time she gave birth. So it's not unusual for children born to very young parents to be born a little bit early. So I wouldn't put too much stock into that. Yeah, or it could be a situation where they don't announce it until maybe the baby's a couple of months old to try to smooth things over one way or the other. Um, I feel really bad for Agnes because that is, that is too young for a person's body to be carrying a baby. And that's a little scary. And especially in today's political climate, but there's no mention of that daughter in this story, their daughter that they had living with them was four at this her name is melinda and she was four at the time of the story in 1964 march of 1964 when the murder happened i don't know maybe maybe she got given up for adoption or maybe i don't know for whatever which would be weird because they were married so i kind of wonder if maybe that baby was preemie or didn't make it but i thought that was interesting just just an interesting tidbit that i turned up man agnes life just sounds Real rough. Uh, uh, Agnes had a fucking tough life. And I think it, I think the reason I wanted to bring that up is that it maybe shed some light on why she was having an affair at 24 years old with Edwards, with the cousin of her husband. Yeah. Yeah, CJ CJ was like 38. um, Yeah. And, and mm. that seems like such a wild thing to do. And I think the the backstory of the they had been married for 10 years. They were married since she was 14. They had a child when she was extremely young. And we don't know what happened to that child. I think these details shed some light on maybe why she thought that was a good idea, even though it was absolutely not. I also want to point out that the reason that Ferris originally requested to be given a death sentence is that he said, I love Agnes and I can't live without her. I can't imagine there ever being another woman in my life. My life is effectively over. I could never be in my kid's life because of how much I've taken away from my kid. Uh, and it is better for me just to die. So he expressed, even after his wife's death, how much he loved her. Now he's a murderer, which is not good. <laughs> Not trying to defend him, but I think that's valuable context. I found his mm. sentencing information, and this may be a little bit surprising. Um, Edward Wayne Ferris was sentenced on Saturday, November 14th, 1964, to 15 years in prison. Only 15 years in prison? Yeah, the state really pushed for the death penalty, but he was not given the death penalty. He was given 15 years. Uh, would you like to go take up the offering and come back and continue discussing this? 
Okay, let's do All that. Right. And we'll talk about whether or not this is the story that Jack Hiles based it off of, um, based on some information that we have dug up and information that we are missing. So that's what's coming in the second half of this episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As you all know, I'm getting ready to move across the country, and I really wish that I knew exactly what to do. Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual, and life changes are often difficult to navigate. When things aren't working, it's normal to feel stuck or confused, and it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is. Luckily, therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. I know when I have a situation that I am feeling unsure about, therapy can help me figure out what the best decision is for me and how to best prioritize my own needs. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. There are no waiting rooms, there's no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Eden. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Eden. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. 
We are back from our break. We are talking about Paul Sand, a.k.a. Bob Tate, a.k.a. Edward Wayne Ferris, maybe uh, killed his wife. Not a great guy. Just a bad situation for everybody. This is the story that basically we got sent to us and then we dug into uh, and and we we read all about on, on newspapers.com. We found some other records for it as well. Um, so what are our reasons for thinking this might be the Paul Sand story? What matches? In my opinion, I think that this is the story that Jack Hiles based his Paul Sand story on. And I'll tell you why. If you listen to the original recording that that we had i think the recording was from uh was from the 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 90s no the recording was Mm -hmm. from 78 no the the book it's printed in a book in 1978 and the recording that we based our research off of was from the early 90s um we know it was early 90s because my dad was there the story that he took there's a couple of phrases that that he used um i think one of them was and I, I got the rifle from my closet and I shot my wife in those words was lifted word for word from the newspaper article and right, said from word Ferris's for word, confession in the newspaper and said word for word the same way in the letter that Jack Hiles read. Right. The general location. So Edward Wayne Ferris and Agnes Ferris lived what did you say about 45 minutes away from where Miller Road Baptist Church was? Right. So Miller Road Baptist Church was in um is is in Garland, Texas, which is northeast of Dallas, and I think uh, uh Edward and Agnes lived west of downtown Dallas between Dallas and Fort Worth that area so and based on their marriage announcement in the newspaper and the birth announcement for the daughter that was not in the picture by the time the murder happened uh they lived at the same address from the time they were married until the time of the murder the area generally is the right area and so if there was a murder in the it's it's the the Dallas Fort Worth uh, a Star Telegram is the newspaper, right? Right. The um, Star Telegram is the main. There were other smaller newspapers reporting, but the Star Telegram was the major newspaper in the area. So it is the right it is the right general area and it is plausible that they could have attended Hiles Church. And then you also found a photo of Agnes, right? I think that maybe he based some personal details of the couple on the actual people i don't know i but she was also was tall though he was tall was tall okay so that matches yeah and so there's there's just a couple of details that really match up and seem like they line up at least it's it's the sort of thing where hiles definitely could have seen something he liked and then changed it to be more compelling in his sermon for instance obviously the biggest difference in this is that Ferris didn't kill also his cousin. Right. So that's one major difference is that this was not a double murder. And the other thing, and this was something that we kind of had issues with that we were kind of confused about when we talked about it the first time that basically Ferris was at the shopping center and he found his wife and, uh, uh, and, and her, uh, What's the male version of mistress? 
Masteress? Master? <laughs> I don't, master? I don't I would know. just What's say that? lover. I think lover <laughs> works. Okay, I guess he found his wife and lover in the backseat of a car in the shopping center parking lot. And then he saw them there. And then he went home, got the gun from his closet, went back, and then shot them. So that was a detail that really confused us because he, he would have to see them and then he would they would have to still be going for right. however long it took him to see them. Like if you're doing that in public, some and somebody's gonna see you. It it's because it seemed like they were in the middle of the day. What right? Because and then who was watching their kid? Right, who's watching the kid? Like it, so so he would go there and he would see that in the middle of the day and somebody's going to happen upon them and like knock on the window and be like, you can't do that here. Like, this is the sixties. Like, I don't yeah. like, like how far away was his house from the shopping center? Was it a five minute trip? Cause that would make sense, I guess. Right. But they'd still have to, like, if you're doing, I'm saying if you're doing it in the car and, and you're in public, then you're going to try to get it over with quickly. You, you're right. not going to like, you're not going to do like a, a long, like drawn out tantric session or, or whatever like that in a car in daylight in the in a parking lot. Basically, if you're doing it in the car in daylight in, in the parking lot, no matter how long it takes Ferris to get home and get the gun, he's not going to have enough time to go home to, to see you walk from your car to his car, get in his car, drive home, go into the house, go into the closet, get the gun out of the closet, go back to his car drive back to the parking lot, park, like, I guess, close to your car, shoot you, and then, like, get away. You're going to be done by then, and you're going to be, like, wiping yourself off, driving off somewhere, I don't know, cleaning the upholstery, uh, generally what people do after they're done. Um, it's it, it just seems like a logistically not a very, uh, a kind of a nonsensical situation that Hiles came up with to begin with. So we always kind of assumed that that part was fake. Right. And so the, the, I think that's the biggest detail maybe that doesn't line up with, with Hiles sermons, but there were a couple other details that came to mind as well. On the other side of this issue, we have a couple of reasons to believe that Edward and Agnes did not know Hiles at all, that they never went to his church and that they, they never knew him to begin with. And it, it, they just seem like from the story, they just didn't seem like the type of people that would go to an IFB church. No, they really uh, didn't. Edward smokes, uh, drinks, has no problem with his cousin CJ spending alone one on one time with his wife. Agnes talked about wanting to get a divorce. Um, I don't want to say casually because that's that's not really a thing that you talk about casually, but she talked about wanting to get a divorce and move out and live on her own in a way that suggested that it wasn't some spiritual bond that she felt that she was severing. Right. <clears throat> there is no talk in any of these articles about the couple having a particular religious accept, uh, objection to divorce. And they don't talk about attending church either because in this situation, if... He was talking, a, he, he never mentions God, Jesus, right. one time in his, in his testimony, in his They confession. don't talk he like fundies. Say, well, he doesn't. Agnes doesn't get a voice anymore because he murdered her. 
But he doesn't say, I ask God for forgiveness. I hope that Jesus can absolve me. I'm trying to uh, uh, find myself in Christ, something like this. He, He doesn't say any of that stuff. So as far let's let's take apart the the smoking and drinking thing first. Okay, go for it. The IFB's strong anti-smoking stance was definitely still evolving at the time. I, I shouldn't say definitely because I could be wrong. I, as far as I know, back in the late fifties, early sixties, when so many more people smoked, I don't think the IFB had decided it was a major sin yet. I think it was still seen as a minor sin. Like how in the IFB, some people will have a TV but only use it for approved VHS tapes. Some people will have a TV and let their kids watch PBS. And then the really righteous people don't have a TV at all. I think smoking was seen like that at the time. It wasn't one of the big sins. It was just something that you probably shouldn't do. My guess is that the anti-smoking thing came about at the same time that they started preaching against men having long hair, started preaching stronger dress standards. All of these things uh, came along in the 60s because the IFB hated hippies and everything they stood for. So the smoking isn't a disqualifier. Okay, what about the drinking? Jack Hiles was a lifelong anti-alcohol crusader based on his negative experiences with his alcoholic father and probably also the influence of evangelists like Billy Sunday. Although we do have reason to believe that Jack Hiles' father wasn't actually an alcoholic and he made that story up. Right. Forgot that part. (laughs) So, (laughs) So the smoking isn't a disqualifier. The drinking is a concern. And is not so if they were Sunday school teachers at Jack Hiles Church in 1958, when Agnes Ferris would have been like 18, which seems kind of young, at that point, Hiles would have said, You can't be a Sunday school teacher here if you drink at all. So if Jack Hiles' story was true and if it was about Edward Wayne Ferris, he would have had to completely quit drinking when they were Sunday school teachers at Jack Hiles Church. And then started it back up again, which again, is that's not something the way he talks about drinking, he talks about it like a thing that normal people do. And he has always done. It wouldn't be. So this isn't a straight disqualifier, but it does throw some uh, doubt on the story. I found so so when we started researching this episode, this follow-up episode, I still thought there is no way that this story is related to Jack Hiles at all. Jack Hiles never heard this story. He made the Paul Sand story up completely out of thin air, and there's no relation to the Edward Wayne Ferris case. But I found something. Go for it. Edward and Agnes had been in touch with a pastor whose name was Reverend Douglas Laird. He was the pastor of Dixie Heights Baptist Church. Pastor Laird was giving the Ferrises some marriage counseling in the months leading up to the murder. They seemed like they had attended his church, but weren't necessarily regular members of his church. Douglas Laird had some very interesting things to say about this case. He was... Ferris's spiritual advisor during the investigation and trial of this case, and even visited the murder scene with the police, because again, this is the 60s in Texas. So Douglas Laird said that he baptized Edward and Agnes Ferris around January 1st, 1964, the year of the murder. Wow. The other thing I found about Laird is that he attended Southwestern Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
he may have already been attending there at the time of the murder, or otherwise he started there very shortly afterwards. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, fun fact, it's where Lester Woloff attended, like 20 to 30 years before Laird attended there. So Laird is is full IFB. Uh, but he's Baptist. He's pro- he's Southern Baptist, but he's Baptist Baptist. Okay, and this was before Jack Hiles would have like fully cut off anybody who was Southern Baptist and just stopped associating. Right. At this point in Hiles' life, he personally had left both the Southern Baptist and the American Baptist conventions at different times, but he had not yet completely cut off association. He was still associating with the people down at Bob Jones University for a solid 10 years after this murder happened. More than 10 years, more like 14 so Hiles and Laird could have known each other. They could have had correspondence. Uh-huh. I'm getting there. Also, though, in Baptist theology, you only need to be bapti- baptized once. It's not nearly as strict as other denominations where it's like a theological problem if you get baptized twice, but it's, it's not considered necessary. So Laird, with his standard Baptist training— and Baptist pedigree should have asked the Pharisees if they were previously baptized, because Hiles specifically mentioned in his sermon that they were saved and baptized at Miller Road Baptist Church, a family that was involved enough at Miller Road Baptist Church to be saved, baptized, and become Sunday school teachers should have been taught by Hiles that they did not need to get rebaptized again five to ten years later in 1964 when they had presumably been baptized by Hiles sometime between 1952 and 1959, which again are the only years that they could have attended Miller Road Baptist Church while Hiles was the pastor. Actually, between 1954 and 1959 are the only possible years that they could, that Edward Wayne Ferris and Agnes Ferris could have known Jack Hiles because he claimed to meet them after they were married. They were married in 1954 and Hiles left in 1959. Were, did Hiles get them saved and baptize them between 1954 and 1959, and then they magically forgot about everything that he ever taught them, turn into heathens, and have to get rebaptized by Douglas Laird in 1964? That doesn't seem plausible. Did Douglas Laird inexplicably completely break with Baptist doctrine to rebaptize these people in 1964, knowing that they had been baptized a maximum of 10 years previous by Jack Hiles, who was his contemporary? That doesn't seem plausible either after reading a lot of quotes from Douglas Laird. That leaves us with Hiles is lying. He never baptized these. At least he didn't baptize these particular people. He didn't baptize Edward Wayne Ferris and Agnes Ferris, who are the only people who the only wife who got murdered by her husband in Texas at the time that Hiles is talking about. So this is just another detail that really seems like it it fits too well to not be somehow involved. My verdict is that Hiles is a liar whatever way you cut it. So any single detail of this case, like take any detail, the fact that the guy, the wife's lover was a high school football coach, there is no reason for Jack Hiles to add that detail to protect the anonymity of someone who wasn't a high school football coach. Like that doesn't make any sense. Or take the detail that Paul Sand, whoever he was, caught his wife and her lover having sex in a car in a parking lot. There is that detail doesn't protect anyone's anonymity if it's not true. It's just a lie. You know, if someone was, 
if a person in a story was a engineer and you wanted to protect their anonymity, you might say that they were a photographer. You wouldn't say that they were the second person to climb Mount Everest. Am I making sense here? Yes. Like that, these added details don't help anybody. Here's the thing, though, is that if if somebody was a machinist and you wanted to make up a detail to protect their identity, you might say that they worked for the phone company. Okay, that's fair. I have a theory here. I don't know if you want me to go into this yet. Uh, why don't you go ahead? You want me to go ahead? So in this theory, I have to go back to, um, and you know how scarily good my memory is when it comes to conversations that I have with people. Yes. And I want to go back to last May, May of 2021, when I had a wonderful lunch with your family um, and had a conversation with your father about Jack Hiles. And he told a story about, they, they were trying to come up with a theme for an event. Um, mm-hmm. This was one of his and, favorites to tell. So you've heard this story many times. Uh, and and uh, do, do you want to tell it? Uh, you you know the story better than I do. No, no, obviously. no. Go ahead. I want I want it from your perspective. So he the, the story as I remember it is that he Hiles was trying to come up with an idea for an event, and your father, uh, and and while everybody else in the room was uh, uh talking amongst themselves to try and come up with an idea, uh, your father mentioned an idea to Jack Hiles, and Jack Hiles pretended that he came up with that mm-hmm. idea himself um so hiles turns to the table and he goes i just had an idea what if we did this and it was my dad's idea that he had just pitched him so my take is that laird gave a sermon about i don't know i don't know if it would have been a sermon about duty but it, it, laird was involved with these people's lives and so clearly this this murder probably would have affected him to the level where he probably would have talked about it. I mean, Laird visited the crime scene. He visited the crime scene. He would have talked about it. And these people and, and the Pharisees would have been attending his church if they were getting spiritual advice and counseling from him. So he would have had to talk about this at some point. So my take is that Jack Hiles probably heard this story from Laird or from somebody who heard it from Laird. Jack Hiles hears this story, changes details, and thinks, because he hears this and he thinks, this is an incredible story about a murderer, and he changes just enough details that you can't trace the actual identity back to who it actually was, but he can he has plausible deniability if somebody says that you made it up. Hmm. So he hears this story, changes the details and puts himself in the story in place of Laird and inserts it into his sermon illustration in a J Walter Weatherman arrested development sort of way and say, <laughs> that's why you don't stop going to church. That's exactly, that's very similar to what I think happened. If you think back to when we have discussed the origins of pastor school, do you remember me talking about this? 
Yes, because I just listened. You, you probably to, just I heard just this. I just re-edited yeah. that episode a couple days ago. And our ago. listeners can hear the recut of it in like six weeks, probably. Yeah, <laughs> so, however many weeks it is. So Jack Hiles talking about how pastor school came to be. What he always said was, as his church was growing, as First Baptist Church of Hammond was getting closer to being awarded the world's largest Sunday school, they were making big Christian magazines, they were really making a splash in the evangelical world. As that come up was happening, Jack Hiles said he got phone calls from pastors all the time asking him if they could come visit his church, if they could tour his ministries, if they could try to catch on to what he was doing that was so successful and figure out how they could bring it home to their own churches and their own communities. Heil said that he got phone calls all the time from pastors asking for advice, asking for help, asking for mentorship from him, and that these requests for help were taking up so much of his time that he felt like he didn't have enough time to pastor his own church and do his own thing. So he thought, what if they all came here on the same week? What if they all came here for one week and we had a conference where I could dispense my wisdom on how I built this giant church and help these pastors be able to go home and do it in their own communities? And that's how pastor school was born. And then that also led to the a related concept was the concept of Hiles Anderson College, where Hiles could train pastors to go out and do what he did in their own communities. I think maybe Douglas Laird was one of these guys who was calling Jack Hiles. Because really? he, yeah, I think Laird called Hiles when this murder happened. And he was like, hey, man, I got some crazy stuff going on in my church. I was doing marriage counseling for these people, and I thought it was going really well. I got them saved and baptized, and then the wife cheated on the husband, and the husband shot her. Like, can you pray with me? What do I do? And then Jack says, you think that's bad? You should hear what my son's been up to. (laughs) Uh, Dave would have been a teenager at this point. He wasn't up to the real you know, criminal shit yet. I mean, he was up to some bad shit when he was a teenager. I'm sure he was. <laughs> um, know that. He didn't get Ooh. the the criminal stuff that we know about. He was in his twenties, at least. Speaking of which, Dave Hiles is trying to like make a comeback again. You, you hear about this? He's he's going on podcasts. He's got he's on Instagram. He's on Facebook now. He's trying to make a comeback. Yeah. Uh, Dave Hiles was on so. John Wilkerson, the current pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, who took over after Jack Scott went to jail for sex trafficking a minor. He, so John Wilkerson was on this podcast. And then a couple weeks later, the same podcast also platformed Dave Hiles. And John Wilkerson has not come out and said, like, I don't want to be on the same platform as Dave Hiles um, and refused to, like, denounce him. So that's fun. Yikes. Yeah. Bad Did you listen to the Dave Hiles interview? Not yet. I'm going to. I heard I saw a clip of it that Eric Skwarzynski posted. And he like it, it was all just like just because you've done bad stuff in your past doesn't mean it should ruin your future. I'm like, you f- murdered a child, probably, allegedly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and also like all of the people that he assaulted. Like so many people. So, so yeah, uh, I think that Laird called Hiles for advice and told him the whole story. 
And then 10 years later, Heil thought, you know, that'd be a great story to tell in a sermon illustration. And I'm just going to make it about me because I'm Jack Hiles and I make everything about me. And enough time has passed that he can, like... Speaking of enough time passing, Gavi. Oh, God, what's about to happen? You remember how... You remember how... Edward Wayne Ferris was sentenced to 15 years for killing his wife, right? Yes. And you also remember how in the letter that Jack's, that Jack Hiles claimed to get from Paul Sand, he said that Paul Sand was sentenced to a life sentence, right? Yes. And he claimed that he got a letter from the jail from the guy who said he was sentenced to a life sentence. Yes. So, number one, Edward Wayne Ferris was never sentenced to a life sentence. His original sentence was 15 years. But number two, Edward Wayne Ferris was let out of prison in four years, which was four 10 years. in four years, which was 10 years before Hiles ever preached duty. What? By the first time Hiles preached this sermon and told this story, Edward Wayne Ferris had been out of jail for 10 years. How did Edward Wayne Ferris do less time than Jack Scop? Uh, it, I mean, it was it was a crime of passion. If anything is going to get off easily, that's what it's going to be. That I think that was the detail that made me realize that this is completely made up. I do think it's totally possible that Douglas Laird called Jack Hiles, asked for advice. And then Hiles decided the story was too good to pass up. So he stole the story, he made it about himself, and he used it as one of his most iconic sermon illustrations. You know, I'm good with that. I think, like, that's that's pretty close to what I, I'm leaning towards as well. But I just I just think it's so fascinating that we actually were able to to pin this down to an actual case. Yeah, and and big thanks to Casey for check for for tracking this down for us. Yeah, and so uh, any final thoughts about Hiles? Oh, yeah. Any final I got final thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> of course you do. I think this leaves me, the questions that this leaves me with are more about what kind of person does this make Jack Hiles? Because a really interesting detail that I brought up in the original Paul Sand episode is that I have direct knowledge of another one of Hiles' sermon illustrations in a a story that follows the exact same beats. Hiles told a story about a family who asked him for advice. He told them what he thought they should do. They decided to go against his advice. And then later, uh, the family, several members of the family drowned on vacation. And I know that that story is true because my mother personally knows some of the people involved in it. So Hiles has a true story about someone who didn't take his advice and a bad thing happened to them. Why would he make one up? Why would he make up an additional story? And what does that say about him? What kind of person would do that? The more that I think about this story, if Jack Hiles had told the whole story how it actually happened, and he said, I have a friend who's a pastor down in Texas. I know him from when I was the pastor at Miller Road Baptist Church. This pastor was counseling this nice young couple, and they were having some difficulties in their marriage. But what happens is the wife is alone with this other man, and they're drinking, and they're smoking, and they're doing all sorts of immoral things, and the wife 
uh, has uh, the wife has sex with this man who is not her husband, and her husband kills her. And that's a true story. I can give you the name of the man. His name was Edward Wayne Ferris. Uh, my friend, who's the pastor, is 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 Pastor Laird down in in Dallas, in Texas, yeah, Dixie Heights Baptist Church. Dixie Heights Baptist Church. Look it up. This actually happened. That's a sermon illustration. That's a real thing that actually happened. He can tell that story. Yeah, and there's so many things that Hiles could have, so many of his pet topics and pet peeves, he could have said, well, this is what happens when you drink. He could have said, well, this is what happens when you trust psychiatrists who give you tranquilizers. He could have said, well, this is what happens when a woman is outside her husband's authority and is spending time with another man. He could have said a hundred different things that would have gone right in line with his own pet peeves. But what he needed, what Hiles needed, was a story about not quitting your job as a Sunday school teacher. What Hiles needed was a story about don't quit your jobs that you do that build my ministry and build my name. You know what that makes me wonder? It makes me wonder if there was one guy who was thinking about quitting his job as a Sunday school teacher that week. That's exactly what I see. Now, he preached it first at the Bill Rice Ranch. So, you know, he didn't preach it. We don't know if he preached it at home in Hammond before that first time he preached it at the Bill Rice Ranch. But that sure sounds suspicious to me. Because what he needed was not a scary morality tale about the dangers of drinking or the dangers of an unsubmissive wife. What he needed at that time was for people to keep building his ministry and building his brand as he was moving up towards being one of the largest fundamental churches in America. Wow. So that's the detail that he inserts into this story that has nothing to do with him. And what he needs is to build his brand as the guy whose advice you can't go against. So that's how he chooses to tell this story. And that's extremely on brand for Jack Hiles. That is... Yeah, it's not oh. um, It's not malicious on its face. It's just incredibly narcissistic. And this goes so well with the profile that we've kind of built up of Jack Hiles as someone who is insecure about his appearance, as someone who was very concerned with appearance of everything, but was perfectly willing to bend and break all of the rules behind the scenes for him to get what he personally wanted. So I want to, I want to talk about how, how can we look at this story from a deconstruction point of view? Because so many of us were told these stories and it goes all the way back, I think, to the very first episode where we talked about the brain in the jar story. So many of us were were told these stories about a person who went against the man of God, and then they got in a horrible tragedy of some kind, and either they died or they suffered permanent consequences or someone they loved died. And I think that's a really difficult thing to deconstruct. I really hope that taking apart this Paul Sand story can give us a framework for deconstructing these fears. Because I definitely felt these fears. If I step outside of the IFB way of life, then what if something terrible happens to me? What if something terrible happens to someone I love? I think when we look at this Paul Sand, <laughs> Paul Sand, Bob Tate, Edward Wayne Ferris murder story, what we see is that 
the breakdown of the Ferris's marriage and the eventual murder of Agnes Ferris had nothing to do with their spirituality or their membership in a church. If anything, Douglas Laird did his best to help and just wasn't, their marriage was too far gone and he just wasn't able to help enough. We're talking about a young couple who would have been born shortly after the Depression and the Dust Bowl in Texas. I searched and searched on census records to try to find either either Edward or Agnes in the 1950 Texas census, and I wasn't able to find them. And that makes me think maybe I couldn't find them because they lived in such a rural area that they weren't reached by the census. These people were probably not wealthy. They got married at an extremely young age. We don't know if it was... Uh, a love match from the beginning or maybe a shotgun wedding kind of situation. But we know that at least at one point, they really loved each other. And at one point, Edward really, really loved Agnes. It's clear from the way that he talked about her that he was evil murderer, though he was. He was experiencing true heartbreak over what had occurred between him and his wife. We know that they had a child when Agnes was extremely young, and Edward would have only been 19 when that first child was born in 1955. And and then they got married, and they were married for 10 years, and they were extremely young. They had a child together, which always puts pressure on a relationship. Even the healthiest relationship, even when it's positive pressure, having a child is always equivalent to pressure in a relationship. And Maybe she didn't feel as loved by her husband as she once did. Maybe they didn't prioritize each other. I don't know what happened, but she had an emotional affair that led to a physical affair, and he got super blazed on tranquilizers and whiskey and cigarettes and shot her twice. That story has nothing to do with their spirituality. This tragic, awful murder that happened has nothing to do with whether or not they ever attended Jack Hiles Church and were Sunday school teachers, which I do not think happened. And I hope that looking at the facts of this story for what they are can help us take apart those fears, because I think a lot of us who are raised in this do still have fear. And I think looking at it as more factual, this this helps. This helps me, and I hope it helps you too. Thanks so much for saying that. That was a fantastic way to close out this episode, Sadie. I just, you know, I, I find that that when I have a fear that is based in... IFB thinking or cult-like mentality or religious thinking, um, taking it apart with logic and looking at what actually happened in this true story, it makes it, it, it makes it more logical in my mind and it, it helps me be more logical when I face those fears. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, this has been a, a, a fun episode, and it's a fun one to revisit. The the Paul Sand that that story in in the sermon duty that was a fun one from the beginning, and I'm having a good time revisiting it now. Uh, tune in next week. Next week we're talking about cult of the cults of personality. A little bit of a of a a different area in which we want to go in a different direction. But, you know, we've talked about cults. We've talked about um, high-pressure groups. We haven't really talked about cults of personality that maybe surround celebrities or political leaders or uh, just just various people. So that's really exciting for us to get to to cover that because I think that's a new avenue in which we can talk about this kind of black and white thinking, this kind of brainwashing thinking, and this kind of uh, in-group, out-group mentality. 
Yeah, that's something we've touched on and we haven't gone super deep into it. So I'm really excited to get that opportunity starting next week. I feel like it might be a couple weeks. (laughs) We'll see. We've we've got that coming out, and then we've got some more fun stuff coming out for you guys after that, so make sure that you tune in for those. Uh, this has been the Leaving Eden Podcast. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, please subscribe to our Patreon, where there's an extended version of today's episode that's even longer and, and more goofy than the one that you already listened to. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Tune in on Thursday for the re-release of uh, of Taylor's version of Leaving Eden Podcast episode two. I'm going to start calling it Taylor's version because... That's the, the, the analogous thing to, to what it is. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hellyas Sadie, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. You have a great day. Bye bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.